of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent Biz here with a look back, a look forward, and a whole lot more. But at the top, a whole lot about Hayden Fry. Biz, you called it an ode to the old rascal, Hayden Fry, as he passes away two nights ago at the age of 90. Without Hayden Fry, who knows where our fandom would be? Who knows where he would have went to school? I mean, just so much tied to one man, Jay Hayden Fry. Well, it's probably more appropriate. Just We could label this our, our, our High Porch podcast, Trent. Uh, Love it. You know, it, it's almost impossible to overstate the importance of uh, Hayden Fry for not only the University of Iowa, but for the state of Iowa. I mean, it's obviously tragic that he passed, but it's been a pretty amazing 48 hours of stories. I mean, I think I spent over two hours last night just reading different articles and listening to different podcasts. And, you know, I really enjoyed hearing some of the old writers from the, you know, the eighties and nineties that really knew Hayden and just across the board, just glowing comments about the guy. I mean, he was, uh, you know, by all means, everybody sounds like he's a great guy, but just what a life. I mean, just, it's almost a, a Forrest Gump type life he led. And it's been, it's been awesome to read some of those stories over the last 48 hours. It really has. And some of the stories that either for you forgot or don't remember, or maybe misremember, or maybe eh, the story might've changed a little bit throughout the years. And that's okay too. That I think is all part uh, of the you legacy of Hayden. Hayden embellished the story? Just, uh, maybe a little huh. bit from time to time, but they're great stories. It's just absolutely Great to, to relive Hayden Fry, an icon, and had one opportunity to interview Hayden, really enjoyed it, a very sweet man at that time. At that point, he was, you know, far removed from the University of Iowa. This probably would have been, oh, 12 years ago, something like that. But you, you could tell what the impact for this state did for him and and what it meant to be, to be a Hawkeye, and that ran very deep, and it made – the state of Iowa, very big. Uh, your, obviously, memories are a little bit more vivid of mine of some of those early days. Really, all I remember, 85 is the Rose Bowl and the Iowa-Michigan game. That's all that's there. It was it was 86-87 when I started really getting deeper into Iowa athletics. But for talking to those older people, and I've had the opportunity to do that. I, I was on the air for five hours yesterday and talking to a lot of different people of different perspectives. One of my biggest takeaways was where the state of Iowa was at that time and the farm crisis that happened in the mid-80s, but just as a whole, it was a state state that really been beaten down. It was flyover country, and Hayden, he made it okay to be an Iowan and, and to wear that proudly on your sleeve. Well, yeah, you said, you know, I remember a little farther back than you do, you said your memories start in kind of mid-80s. You know, I remember incredibly well, Trent, the first ever Iowa football game I went to because it's one of the most famous ones. First game I ever went to at Kinnick Stadium was the 1981 season finale against Michigan State. Oh, wow. Um, and so I, I was there in person when uh, I, I still remember people having all over in the crowd the little handheld transistor radios and finding out uh, midway through the game that if we just didn't blow a massively big halftime lead, we were going to the Rose Bowl. Um, I remember it being incredibly cold and there being some snow flurries. Uh, but I remember more than anything is that after the game, we stuck around and a, a safety by the name of Lou King gave me a rose. And uh, wow. after that game, Trent, I, I, was, I was hooked. I mean, it, it's obviously a bit of an exaggeration to say this, but, but 
Hayden Fry is one of the reasons I, I went to the University of Iowa eventually. Mm-hmm. I was four years old at the time, but uh, after that game, we went back for an annual trip to Kinnick every year, and that was always one of my favorite days of the year. Me, you, and everyone else uh, absolutely loved the Hawks throughout the 80s, and it was just a, a unbelievable decade of football. Um, you know, and I knew from the age of four years old on that I wanted to go to the University of Iowa. You know, I never wavered from that. I never visited another, co- another college. Um, I went to undergrad there. I went to law school there. I met my wife there. So, you know, clearly it was the best decision of my life. And, and, and it, uh, it it all goes back to going to that first game and enjoying, uh, you know, just how unbelievably fun going to Kinnick Stadium was in the 80s. Hayden Fry, the the way that you go through the timeline of his life and what he was, and we have such an Iowa perspective here, but what he did at SMU and integrating the Southwest Conference and getting Jerry Levias into the school, another note that I heard, for white athletes to get into SMU at the time, you had to have a 750. Well, they put that in there. All right, Hayden, you can do it, but the, the player has to have a 1,000 or better SAT score in order to get into MSU. But knowing what that was going to do, yeah, yeah, it's seven fifty to get in for a white guy, a thousand for an African American. That that was just one of the hurdles that was put in place for Hayden Fry to get guys in there. He found Jerry Levias, an outstanding player. They go to the College Football Hall of Fame together in two thousand and three. That is, I mean, that should be at the top of the list. What he did to do that at that time, to do that in Texas in the mid sixties, absolutely incredible. He put his neck out on the line. Because what you said at the top is, not only was he this larger-than-life figure, but he was a good person. Well, and it's amazing. My, my son is 14 now, and, and he's been to enough Fry Fests over the years, and, and he's been handed the free mustaches and stuff. So he knew who Aiden Fry was, and I had him read one of the articles. And he's in the middle of reading the article, and he turns to me and goes, Wait, there, there's a TV show pattern after Hayden Fry? Oh, yeah. I mean, literally Hayden Fox, the persona from Coach, was Hayden Fry. And my son was like, that. that's unbelievable. I mean, some of the things, I mean, and on top of all that, Trent, I may be slightly biased, but in my opinion, he created the greatest logo in the history of college athletics. So, But, uh, you know, you can talk all day about some of the amazing connections of Hayden Fry, but uh, you don't want to lose sight of the fact that he was also a damn good football coach. And that's that's where I kind of steered Stat Boy to. So as soon as we get done kind of reminiscing, I have some interesting info about the insane turnaround that he uh, he did here at the University of Iowa. But, uh, yeah, it, it's amazing. Like I said, he's a guy that a TV show patterned after him. He knew you know, George Bush, John Wayne, Roy Orbison. I mean, it, it's like I said, it's, it's almost Forrest Gump-like in some of the, uh, the stories you hear about him. The connections that he had, Lee Iacocca, the Ford Mustang being named after his SMU Mustangs, and he gets the first one ever off the assembly line in blue and red, the colors of SMU. It goes on and on and on. But these stories, they don't land in quite the same way unless you're a winner. And Hayden Fry was exactly that. He leaves North Texas after leading them to a 10-1 and and 9-2 and season, yet not getting a bull bid in either of those seasons. Makes his way to Iowa City, the Rose Bowls we talked about in 1981. 85, number one ranked for five consecutive weeks. The victory against second-ranked Michigan, but it was a long tenure. And you look at that run and the bowl destinations that they were. Over an eight-year period during the 1980s, they didn't lose more than two two games in the Big Ten. They had incredible seasons, incredible talent that are getting there. 
he completely changed the perception of the Big Ten, which was the Big Two and the Little Eight. He broke that up. He brought passing offense to the Big Ten. So many angles, so many layers to this. You can peel back with Hayden Fry, and, and I don't even think we're doing it service because there's so much more. No, and like I said, that's why I I asked that boy to kind of do two things for us. One, to find any uh, any extra nuggets he could find that maybe people hadn't unearthed, and he found a couple neat ones. But uh, before we do that, I wanted to just go you know, touch base on just how unbelievable of a turnaround he uh, orchestrated here, because I think we as Iowa fans have become spoiled over the last forty years, and you know we talk a lot about now that Iowa fans. Uh, except mediocrity and the eight and four is just kind of assumed now. Well, uh, you go back uh, 40 years, you know, the whole fan base would have been doing the hokey pokey for a, an eight and four season back in the seventies. I mean, you ready to dig into just how brutal that team was and how quick of a turnaround he, he uh, orchestrated. Yes. Yeah. I, it was, uh, it was ugly. I know what a stat boy have for us this week. Well, so, uh, again, I think when you look at this information trade, you're going to see that he pretty clearly orchestrated the greatest sustained turnaround in college football history. Um, from from where we were to where he took us and kept us over the, the next decade is unbelievable. You touched on the 17 straight losing seasons. That doesn't even tell the story, Trent. In the nine years before Hayden got here, our combined record was 25 25- 71 and 2. They were winning uh, less than three games a year in those nine years. Mm. And uh, he got here, and within the next 10 years, uh, three Rose Bowls in a decade. So, you know, everybody knows the story. He got to Rose Bowl by year three. And like you said, uh, the the decade of the 80s was just dominant. 91 games won over the next 11 years. um, And he won 63.6% of his Big Ten games overall. So, uh, I mean, just sustained excellence as a coach. But let's dig in and compare him to a couple other coaches that we've heard about as making the, you know, some impressive turnarounds, and we'll, we'll see just where he ranks. So All right. When, when you talk about big turnarounds, who are the people that come to mind? Big turnarounds. Bill Snyder, Barry Alvarez, Dan McCarney in a way. Uh, basically, all Hayden's guys. Yeah, they're all Hayden's guys. The only one that, that I think is probably not Hayden's guys is you got to throw in Gary Barnett at mm-hmm. a Northwestern as well. So let's dig into each of those. Let's talk Alvarez first. I think over the years people have thought that uh, Wisconsin was a, a barren wasteland when, when Alvarez got there. Well, that really wasn't the case. He got there in the late 80s. Wisconsin had actually had four straight winning seasons in the early 80s, and they'd only had four straight losing seasons when he got there. So Wisconsin wasn't good, but they weren't the uh, – the barren wasteland that the Hawks were when Hayden got here. Their, so. their biggest problem was Don Morton trying to run the Veer in the late 80s. What a moron. Where did you find that out, Trent? <laughs> what do you mean? You remember the, uh, the Wisconsin offense in the late 80s? Yes, of course. Uh, that was your heyday. Anything <laughs> from 85 on, you are, you are good. I'll give you that. So, but you can cross Alvarez off the list. His, clearly, he made Wisconsin into a powerhouse, but... Uh, as far as the turnaround point, he, he was uh, there was more in the cupboard when he got there than, than there was for Hayden, let's put it that way. So, so then you flip to the opposite side. You've got Kansas State, and everybody talks about how Bill Snyder, I think it's kind of assumed a lot of people talk about him doing the best turnaround of all time, but 
But when you look at the numbers, I don't think that's the case. Um, clearly, K-State was as bad or worse than Iowa was when, when Snyder got there. They've had one winning season in 19 years. The four years before he got there, they went 3-40-1. So, so they were god-awful. Um, but what you forget is it took him a little longer to turn them around than Hayden did. It wasn't the quick turnaround. Um, it took them four years. In fact, the first four years when Senator was there, his record was 18-26. and 26. So he wasn't exactly uh, setting the world on fire for four years. And it wasn't until year eight that they made a New Year's Day Bowl. So a good turnaround, but not the uh, the, the quick and, and sustained turnaround that you see with Hayden. So, so we can cross Snyder off the list. Uh, the one that probably has the best argument uh, would be Gary Barnett at Northwestern. Northwestern had 23 straight losing years when he got there. He turned them around and got them to the Rose Bowl in year four. But again, the area where he falls short is the sustained excellence. Mm-hmm. They made it to the Rose Bowl in, in 95. By 97, their records in 97, 98, and 99 were 5-7, and 3-9, and 3-8. and eight. So when you compare those three, I think it's pretty clear. I mean, you're talking about probably the greatest sustained turnaround in college football history because you went from 25-71-2 over a decade to 91 wins over the next decade. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. You mentioned Iowa State, Trent, and uh, McCarty had a nice turnaround as well. But it, it, it took him, I believe it was seven years, to get to a winning record. Um, and they obviously never got to anywhere near the, uh, the peaks that Hayden did. Uh, and, and Iowa State fans currently talk about Matt Campbell being the savior. Well, he inherited a program that wasn't nearly as woeful as the, as the Hawks either. In fact, uh, Four years before he got there, they, they went to back-to-back bowl games. So, uh, and he hasn't reached the peaks either. So, unless I'm missing somebody, Trent, uh, if there's another person out there that, that has done it, uh, I'd like to see it. But I, I think you can make a strong argument that Hayden's turnaround was the greatest ever. I, I'm right there with you. You're not going to find an argument for me. Well, good, Trent. So, we, that's uh, glad we're in agreement. But <laughs> good info from Stat Boy. The other info, he got, like I said, I, I had him dig up some just. Rare nuggets on Hayden, some stuff that maybe uh, had fallen through the cracks. Are you ready to, to to talk about a few kind of funny things about Hayden? Yes, yes, I love this stuff. So, well, he, he, I assume you've seen he was a state champion quarterback at Odessa High in 1946. Mm-hmm. Well, Stat Boy obviously found the uh, the box score for that game. So, <laughs> right. Although he, although he was a state champion quarterback, you know how many passes he completed in that game? Oh, well, let's say four. Uh, no, zero. He was, he was 0 for oh, 2 passing. 0 so. for 2. All right. But, but he did run the ball 11 times. And not only did he run the ball, but he was a punter as well. Two ah, punts, excellent. Two punts, 33-yard average. So uh, he did it all except uh, apparently pass that game. But uh, the amazing thing about that Odessa football team, Trent, that entire year, you want to know how many turnovers their offense had? None. Not a one. Not <laughs> a single turnover. And in honor of that, um, that boy found a paper in Texas that gave out a whole bunch of awards, and Hayden Fry was named the, quote, best ball handler in Texas. That's an actual award. Wow. Best, best ball handler. So he's got that going for him. Slide a hand, that old Hayden. Yeah. Unfortunately, he lost out on the best line plunger award. That went to someone else. Mm. He did get best ball handler. We need to bring those kind of awards back, I think. Yeah, exactly. 
So then you jump forward a little bit. I think most people know that not only was Hayden an unbelievable coach, unbelievable guy, but he's also uh, was in the Marines for, for, for four years. A couple of pretty cool nuggets from the Marines. While he was in the Marines, he became a, a, an accomplished boxer. He uh, fought a total of 59 times. you want to guess what his record was? Ah, uh, yeah. I, I This is one that I missed. I didn't get this one. Oh. 58-0-1, Trent. Ah. Well, he loved his ties, including the three-tie season. So you can see there being a push in there. Yeah. So, I mean, was he the one that called it uh, ties as a kissing your sister? Yes, I believe so. Um, but also in the Marines, he started coaching football. This is where he started coaching a six-man football team in the Marines. <laughs> and one of his rival teams in the Marines was coached by none other than Al Davis. So he became very good friends with Al Davis while in the Marines as well. That's wild. Absolutely wild. He then returned to Texas after uh, uh, his, his enlistment in the Marines ended. He was a captain. Uh, he came back to Texas and started uh, coaching and, and teaching. And one of his first students in his first class was, was of course, Roy Orbison. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but uh, then you jump ahead, and Statboy was able to find the, uh, the origins of the swarm. So you ready to hear some, quotes, some cool quotes on uh, why the Hawks swarm 40 years later? Yeah, yeah. I remember some bits and pieces of this, but... I certainly don't have the uh, the deep dive that Statboy has for us. Well, it goes back to you know Hayden's love of psychology. He has a master's in psychology from Baylor, um, and basically he had done studies. And his quotes were: "I realize that other teams come out on the field all fired up. My studies have told me that that's a false release and an insecure type of energy. I would rather my players come out close and cool." Um, and he felt that the swarm gave his team a feeling of, of calm and closeness leading up to the game. So uh, that's why the swarm started, and uh, 40 years later, we're still doing it. That is, remember that part of it, and uh, remember the closeness angle, but but kind of keeping your emotions in check. Uh, boy, the master of psychology working again. So last nugget that Statboy found, uh, and this goes back, I think everybody knows that it always uh, – ate at Hayden that he never won a Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. And there were some pretty funny quotes about uh, his Rose Bowl losses. He was adamant that he blamed the first loss, where, where they got whooped pretty good, 28 nothing to Washington. He blamed it on Honky Tonky. And his description was, I don't know how you can win when we spent the time going to Disneyland, eating fancy dinners at places that had tablecloths, and just all-out Honky Tonkin'. <laughs> All out honky tonking. What does that mean? I I don't know. But the best thing is, Trent. Four years later, when the Hawks returned to the Rose Bowl, Hayden had a plan. They were going to be all business. Uh, they didn't. They they flew in only a few days before the Rose Bowl, um, and unfortunately, as we all know, they, they still got whipped by uh, by UCLA. Afterwards, he was asked about uh, his decision to have him come in late, and Hayden smiled and said. Can you guys imagine what the score would have been and if I had to let the boys go out honky-tonking around? <laughs> right back to the well with the honky-tonking. Yeah. So he, he brought it back full circle. So uh, I, I figured that was kind of a good way to, to finish memory lane with Hayden because uh, the fact that he uh, went back to the well and brought up the honky-tonking four years later, I, I thought was pretty darn funny. So, you know, we could spend, obviously, hours on, on – Funny quotes of Hayden or, or his little uh, Haydenisms, but uh, you know it, it, it's it, like you said. It, by doing that, in some ways, it kind of uh, 
discredits just how great of a football coach, how smart of a football coach he was. Because, uh, you know, he kind of reminds you of, you know, almost like a Dabo Sweeney now. Dabo Sweeney kind of has that aw shucks mm-hmm. mentality to him, but, but also obviously one hell of a football coach. And I think that was Hayden uh, back in the day. Another one of my favorite uh, Haydenisms, wasn't it something – you find me a coach that's good at golf, and I'll whoop his ass on the football field, something along those lines. That was uh, another one that you just you have to enjoy. Sun shines on a rump's uh, different way. What is it? The, the Different dog's ass every day. The, yep, that, that's one, too. Uh, another perspective that we uh, that I got yesterday, and I, I can't remember. Oh, it was Chuck Hartley had him on my show, and he mentioned he didn't like his assistant coaches swearing, and you would rarely hear – Hayden used an actual swear word that be a horse's rump instead of ass and things like that. The two guys though during the '80s that were very loose with the language, Dan McCarty, no surprise. The other guy on that staff in the cradle of coaches from that that came out of it, Kirk Ferentz. Those were the two guys that let the language fly. Everybody else uh, listened to coach pretty well. So you're saying that Kirk used to be a little more like his his son than uh-huh. he's on. He might have had a little more Brian Ferentz in him. Maybe just a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if maybe if the youngster starts to change a little bit like the old man did in Kirk. Though you talk to people, football players that have gone through practices with Kirk, that still continues today. He might be buttoned up when he's talking to the media and after a game, but you get him on the practice field, you're still going to hear some words. Well, it's funny you bring up uh, the, the staff information trends because uh, – You'll be shocked to know this, but when Stat Boy sends me his information, it, it is a, a stat overload, and I, I generally try to pare some things down. But <laughs> he sent me one other, which I wasn't going to mention, but I'll, I'll bring it up now because it is pretty funny. Um, this is, again, before the 86 Rose Bowl, he was breaking down why they'd lost before, and he basically uh, threw the entire staff under the bus for the, the first Rose Bowl loss. And so I'll just read you the quote. It's pretty funny. Um, I nearly fired my entire staff at the Rose Bowl in 82, I was so sick, so I left everything in their hands. After the game, a 20 to nothing disaster, I was trying to sort out why we lost. And I later found out the team saw some comedy love story the night before. We watch movies regularly, but we try to stick to things like combat and adventure movies. Anything with Clint Eastwood in it. So, uh, so clearly the, the love story they watched before the Rose Bowl was the real reason they lost. Well, I mean, if they would have watched an action movie, at the very least they would have scored. you got to at least yeah. assume that, right? Well, if you go back and look at that team, uh, scoring was not their strong suit. <laughs> no. when, be- when your best player was your punter, uh, that generally uh, says a lot about that team. They, they got by on punting and defense, which uh, unfortunately it still continues to be a Hawkeye tradition to this day. Well, uh, before we go, let's see how this Iowa basketball team is going to get by as we uh, say goodbye to the football conversation for this week and, and our look back at Hayden Fry. So Jordan Bohanna shut it down. No surprise. We've uh, we've certainly talked about that plenty of times here on the podcast. Biz going to be a different kind of team, different look out there, and and my hope at the very least, I've been very happy with Fran McCaffrey. And I'm always happy with Fran McCaffrey overall. Just some in-game things that I get frustrated with from time to time. But if he goes to the starting lineup and goes back to the well again with two big guys out there, he can't do it. Creator, keep him off the bench. I don't even care if it's Evelyn or Toussaint. Which one? Stay with the four-guard lineup. Stay with what has helped turn this t- thing around after the ugly start against DePaul in game number two. Yeah, to me, that seems like a no-brainer. I mean, I think he seems to have a uh, you know a good thing going, so let's not, uh, let's not stir the pot too much. So, you know, uh, 
let, let's keep the optimism rolling. You know, Cincinnati's uh, by no means a world beater right now. Even though I did, I did see they beat Tennessee last night, mm-hmm. they might be a might be riding the ship a little bit. But uh, I think they're a bit of a mess. It'd be nice to get a win win there, and then then you can go on your angry rant next week about having to play Kansas State. It's not an angry rant. It's a it's building of a schedule. I get it. It's the sheer number of those by games that are in the 300s. But, no, one of them, the one game before you're getting into full Big Ten play, I got no problem with that. There will be no angry rant about Kennesaw State. You don't have to worry. That will go back uh, to the well for another season. We'll see what they look like uh, Saturday night against Cincinnati and Chicago, Kennesaw State, and then on to Big Ten play. We got a bowl game. Biz, are we going to talk next week before Friday night? Um, I don't know. You're you're the busiest guy here, Trent. You're, you're doing like you're juggling like 26 things at a time. So uh, I can I can make it work if you can. But uh, if we don't, you want to, what's your prediction? Do you feel good about it? I, I don't have a great feeling just overall about the game. I, I've said a couple of times as it pertains to gambling. This is one where I'm going to wait and watch the first couple of possessions and probably live bet it. I think you're going to know very early in the game. If Iowa comes out, smacks them in the mouth, USC very much could turtle, and Iowa's going to run away and dominate this football game. So for me, because I don't have a great feel going into it, really what USC team's going to show up, I was going to show up, and there's no doubt in my mind about that. But what is USC going to be? That's what I'm going to wait for, and I think you're going to be able to tell very early what this game's going to look like. The closer we've gotten to game time, I don't know if it's just my my rose colored glasses, but I uh, I feel better and better about the game. I, I just I don't think the Pac-12 is very good, no. and you look at some of their games, um, you know, they're not a good defense, and, and they're not a good running game either. So, you know, I think as we've seen in the past, whenever uh, Phil Parker can make a team one dimensional, uh, we have good success. Now, I just don't see them running the ball at all on us, and. Are they going to make some plays? But yeah, I mean they've got enough talent that they're going to they're going to score some points on us. But uh, I like our chances probably more than I did last week. But uh, I think you're right. If it's a game where if USC is in the right mindset and ready to play, I think we're uh, we're in for a battle. Well, before we get out of here, time once again, it's business beat. Hey kids, gather around for business beat of the day. Okay, here's business beat of the day. <laughs> Well, it's only appropriate that this is be the day. It goes back to Hayden Fry. Um, and you talked, touched on it earlier, but probably his most important accomplishment uh, is integrating the, the Southwest Conference. And, and there's a couple of really cool quotes I saw there. I believe they were from Scott Docterman's article on The Athletic. But uh, it's a couple of quotes that I think are worth talking about because they, they, they ring true, you know, 60-plus years later. Um, you know, he integrated the Southwest Conference in 1956, uh, he was asked about it uh, after he retired, uh, and, he, and his response was, the greatest thing I did in 47 years of coaching was to give the first black player a scholarship in that part of the world because it opened up the door for all the other fine black players to at least have a choice. Uh, he was then asked a follow-up question about uh, you know, how difficult that was, and he responded that he was told by the FBI and CIA to not discuss it openly because – it triggers all the other people in the world that are sick, or as I call them, the rednecks who are still fighting the Civil War. <laughs> but like I said, 60 years later, uh, in our political uh, climate, that, that still rings true. So business be of the day, Trent, pretty simple. 
we need more people like Hayden Fry. We need people who are, A, smart enough to know what's right, and then, B, brave enough and, and have uh, enough courage to stand up for what's right. So, so RIP to Hayden. Um, you'll be greatly missed throughout, uh, throughout not only the state of Iowa, but uh, throughout the nation. Well said, Biz. A great way to end this one. Our High Porch Podcast. I love how you put that at the top. And uh, we got the name of this episode, no doubt. Biz, have a Merry Christmas. We'll try to track you down Thursday, Friday next week. We'll we'll find a little time to squeeze it in, talk some hoops, talk about Iowa-USC, our final thoughts on that. The big uh, bowl game's coming up right afterwards on Saturday, the day after it'll be the semifinals. But the big lead-in, Iowa State-Notre Dame in the Camping World Bowl, you know, where every Irish fan dreams of going to the Camping World Bowl. We're out of time, though, Biz. We'll talk again next week. All right, go Hawks. All right. Have a good one. All right. Have a good one.